We're continuing our series this morning and looking at the life of Abraham. It's not a biographical sketch, really. We're just extrapolating some parts of his story and looking at the principles of his faith journey, asking the question, how can we learn from his faith journey some principles that will help us in our faith journey with Christ? And this morning, we're going to be looking at really an interesting part of Abraham's life. As Abraham, the stories accounted for us in Genesis, as we look at his story, we realize at least on four occasions, he erects altars, these altars to the Lord. And I believe in the four altars that he erected to the Lord, there's a principle there of spiritual altars that we should erect in our own life. But before we jump into his account and look at those altars and how they apply to our lives as followers of Christ, I want to look at an altar. Like, what, what is an altar? And, and, and an altar really in Scripture were used to, to, in, to sort of in, in religious sacrifices and worship to the Lord. It, it, there were physical representations of sort of this present worshiping acknowledgement of who God is. Now, as we look at the Old Testament, the earliest account of an altar is in Genesis chapter 8, where Noah erects an altar and, and sacrifices clean animals to the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, we see altars. And then, of course, in the temple, the altar and animals sacrificed to God. And if you're new to this thing called Christianity, you may wonder, what's that all about? In fact, I've heard uh, people as they come to Christ and start reading the New Testament for the first time, they're like, why do we need the Old Testament? You know, well, the New Testament should be enough. And yet the reality of it is when the biblical writers wrote the scriptures, there wasn't a really old and new, there's just the Bible. But the New Testament is the greatest commentary of the Old Testament. So as we read the New Testament, we understand that altars in the Old Testament were really there to point toward Jesus's ultimate sacrifice. That all the sacrifices, like you don't have to memorize what all the sacrifices were for, they all pointed toward the same thing, that Jesus would be the one-time sacrifice for all. And so in that way, if we go back to the Old Testament, these sacrifices that Abraham erected, we realize really quick that what they were were acknowledges of the very, acknowledgement of the very power of God. That God is present, that God is working, that he's worthy of such worship. And so again, we're going to look at four altars that Abraham erected, and, and from them extrapolate principles that we can apply and, and how we too can erect spiritual altars, so to speak, in our life and our faith journey with Christ. And we're going to jump right in. Let's look at the first altar. We discover the first altar that Abraham erected in Genesis 12, 1 through 7. Now, we've looked at this passage a couple of times already in this series. It's where, it's where Abraham is called out to go to a land that, that's promised to him. In fact, uh, Abram, whose name will later be transformed to Abraham, we find that he's not just the, the, the subject of the blessing, he's also the medium of the blessing. What do I mean by that? God said to Abraham, not only would he be blessed, but he'd be blessed to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Of course, the ultimate fulfillment of that is found in Jesus Christ, to which all peoples everywhere can be in right relationship with God through him. And so you can imagine sort of the excitement of, of going out on his journey, coming to this place of promise. And so he's at the promised land, but there's a problem. There's people already living there. Can you imagine if someone said, I just got you a house, 
and you went to that house and there was a problem as you knocked on the door and you thought, well, I really shouldn't knock, it's mine, but I knocked, and there's a whole family already living there. Well, add upon that, that the people who were already living in the, in the land, the Canaanites, were, were a cruel, corrupt, and callous people. See, these aren't nice people. And God says, this is the land that I have given to you. In fact, in Hebrews eleven eight. He gives us insight. In fact, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 gives us great insight into the way that Abraham sort of looked upon this faith journey. And in verse 8, we read this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So it's a huge step of faith. He leaves what's familiar. He leaves his family. He leaves the safe environment. And all of a sudden, he leaves all these things of familiarity, the safety, and he shows up in the promised land and all of a sudden realizes that not only is it filled with people, but these Canaanites who are a great threat to his safety. This place of spiritual blessing, the promised land, was going to be given to his descendants, but it had threats. And I was thinking about that and, and realizing it's not much different for us when we come to Christ. I, I don't know about you, but can you, can you remember when you came to the Lord? If it was recent, you can remember really clearly. But for some of us, it was years ago. And if you remember when you came to Christ, maybe you had the thought that, wow, there's all these promises. And, and, and like you were going to gonna come to Jesus. You, you prayed, Lord, come into my life. And then you thought all the threats in your life were going to go away. Like you thought, from that point forward, there was going to be no trouble. You know, maybe the threat in your life was a person you were just having a hard time getting along with, and all of a sudden you pray and they were still there. You know, the threats are still present. In fact, then you were, you were a disciple of Christ, right? You're following Christ, and you're studying the scriptures, and you start to realize, actually, when you said yes to Jesus, it put a bullseye on you. Like there's an enemy that the scripture says that seeks around like a roaring lion to devour you. Have any of you ever read that? Any of you memorized that? Is that part of your daily in the morning? Woo! Sort of get up and go moment. What am I talking about? This promise of God, this peace of God, this, this power of God, all that happens in the midst of a fallen world. Filled with, with people who are struggling. Who are threats sometimes to one another. And like Abraham, we need to step out in faith and say, although this isn't paradise, paradise is still to come when Jesus returns. We live in a fallen world, but we live in a world where God can still fulfill his promises. See, the, the, the power of God is not just that he can give us abundant life in a perfect place, but he can give us abundant life in a place filled with threats. That's how powerful our God is. We discovered that we discovered this about Abraham, that, that, that what he does in verse 7, they says, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So what does he do? He built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. I mean, he, he has this affirmation that God's with him. He's going to be with his descendants. And, and it's like Abraham's fears were relieved. The promise was renewed. Abraham's reassured. He understands it's this amazing work that God's going to do. He's going to reach beyond his offspring to the peoples of the world, to us, thousands of years later. I mean, and what's it? He praises the Lord. And what is biblical praise? Biblical praise is focused on the Lord based on the truth of who he is. 
What's been revealed through his word, not imagination, is proportionate to our knowledge and experience of him. I want you to think about that for a minute. Let that, let that sort of sink in a bit. Praise comes out of our experience and knowledge of the Lord. That's why when we come into a service like this, the praise we give to God is an outpouring of our understanding of who God is. Have you ever seen someone going through a very difficult time still able to praise the Lord? And maybe when you were new in your faith, you wonder, how could they do that? I mean, it seems a little odd. Well, it's because they understood that the problem was not greater than their God. But the threats don't trump what God can do in and through their life. So although we live in a fallen world, but the very grace of God is enough for us to come and, and, and worship him and praise him. And, and, and so we read in Hebrews 13, 15, second part of that verse, again, Hebrews gives us some insight into not just the mind of, of Abraham, but the mind of, of, of a believer. How should we think? And, and listen to Hebrews 13, 15, first part of that verse. Through him, Christ, through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continually, living a life of praise, not just coming to a worship service, but living a life of praise. Every day, getting up and saying, Lord, you're worthy of my worship. Throughout the day, saying, you're worthy of my worship. As we put our head on the pillow, Lord, you're worthy of my praise. And therefore, I believe every believer like Abraham needs to erect an altar of praise in our faith journey. A faith journey to remind ourselves. Isn't that what happened to Abraham? There's some threats. God shows up, he's reminded, oh, wait a minute, God's large and in charge. It's going to be okay. And every day of our life as a follower of Christ in our faith journey, we need to be reminded God is large and in charge. That us plus him is always a majority, he's always more than enough. Every believer, like Abraham, needs to erect an altar of praise in their faith journey. Second altar. The second altar we, we discovered that Abraham erected is in Genesis 12, 8 through 13. We discovered that, that Abraham pitches a tent between Bethel, which means house of God, and a place called Ai, which means heaps of ruins. Now, we don't know if there's any significance between where he pitches his tent, but it could be missional in, in the sense that you have house of God, heap of ruins, and this mission of, of Abraham to be blessed, to be a blessing to a people who live amidst a, a world of threats and chaos and and it's the same with us as a church, right? We're called to, to, to be a people who, who live in the midst of this understanding of who God is and, and what's in store for us for eternity. And yet we're still here praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We discover that he's a pilgrim. He's pitching a tent, but he's a man of faith. And so as he's pitching his tent, Hebrews 11.10 gives us insight into his thinking. It says, for he, speaking of Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So he's pitching tents. He, he's, he's, he's sort of uh, journeying through this land that's going to be his descendants, hundreds of years, by the way, after this. But as he's doing it, he's picturing what God is going to do. Cities, amazing works. It reminded me of a story I heard of Walt Disney when Disney World was being built, he didn't see the total completion of it. And, and, and as, it, as it was finished, someone said, I wish Walt was here to see this. And I don't know if it was a friend or a family member, but it said that, that whoever it was said, uh, he did see it. He was a man of vision. 
Abraham was a man of vision and faith. And although he didn't see all these things that God had promised, he knew they were going to come to fruition. So Abraham pitched his tent and he built an altar. Look at Genesis 12, 8. From there, he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on his west, I on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. He built the altar and what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. He, he prays. He, he spends time acknowledging who God is. And I can see him uh, sort of acknowledging the promises of God and, and his faith being increased as he's communing with the living God at this altar. Immediately after this, I challenge you to go and read the, the account following Genesis 12. There's a famine, so Abraham heads to Egypt with his wife Sarah. Now, interestingly and tragically, Abraham made a selfish proposition to his wife, Sarah, and was prepared to put his wife in danger to save himself. It goes completely wrong, if you know the account. I challenge you to read it if you haven't. I mean, it is a troubling account. And really what we find is Abraham's expedition in Egypt resulted in fear, falsehoods, and failure. So here's this man, blessed of God. The promised land is going to belong to your descendants. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. All these promises. And he really makes a big mistake. And we see his fear cause him to do things he shouldn't have done. He speaks falsehoods. And really, it ultimately leads him to failure. It appears that Abraham's trust in God wavers a little bit. But God intervenes and delivers Abraham and Sarah from what could have been a genuine personal hazard. Have you ever been there? Maybe even as a follower of Christ. You, you feared and so you acted instead of having God act or lead you in an action and, and it probably didn't go so well. Maybe you found yourself in a place where maybe you weren't lying but you sort of fudged the truth a little bit because of just trying to figure out your own way out of a situation instead of trusting. Have you ever failed? This is where Abraham's at. And I've been a believer long enough to see so many people in their faith journey that when they come to a place of personal failure, they have one of two really options. One is to either flee from God or run to him. One's to say, I failed, I give up. Maybe to blame God, God, you weren't faithful or to figure out that maybe I wasn't faithful and so I, why, why would God want to invest in me anymore? And people flee or they run to the Lord. Well, let's look at what Abraham does. In Genesis 13, 3 through 4. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where, he, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. When everything was going somewhat well, he, he was experiencing this blessing, this excitement of this mission with the Lord. What does he do? He builds an altar. He calls upon the name of the Lord. What does he do after his failure? He goes back to that same place he was when he was quote unquote successful and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because his actions weren't right, but his God had not changed. God was still going to be true to his promises. God was filled with grace. He doesn't flee from God. He actually runs to God. Abraham re retraced his steps to Bethel. He pitched his tent again. He goes back to this altar. And I, I want to just encourage you this morning, it should be the same for us as believers. We believers don't need to run from God when we fail. We need to run to him. 
We need to uh, once again remind ourselves that we're in the grasp of a God full of mercy and strength and power and forgiveness. That we can even boldly approach his throne. The scripture tells us to find mercy and grace in our time of need. That's not a verse saying flee, it's a verse saying come. It's a verse of, of invitation. And so Abraham calls again on the name of the Lord. And every believer like Abraham needs to create an altar of prayer in their faith journey. The scripture tells us pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does it mean we, we're, we're actually in this posture of prayer throughout the day? Absolutely not. It means we're in an attitude of prayer. That every day as believers, we should erect this altar of prayer. But we start off today saying, God, we know you're with us. And throughout the day, we need those reminders, don't we? Heading into this meeting, God, I know you're with me. Heading into this situation, God, I know you're with me. All the way to the end of the day, before we lay our head on the pillow, God, thank you for being with me. Whether seeking the Lord's direction or his forgiveness, we should run to the Lord and erect this altar of prayer. Third altar. The account's found in Genesis 13, 1 through 13. It's an interesting situation. God has blessed Abraham and his nephew Lot, who went on this faith journey with him, so abundantly well that they have so many new people and herds and all these type of things that all of a sudden Lot's herdsmen begin to argue with Abraham's herdsmen. I mean, you can sort of picture it, right? We have too many herds. Animals? How do you say that? I don't even know and don't care. But we have all these herds and, and, and your herd's coming to my herd and my herd needs to go there and they're fighting over this. And so Abraham and Lot decide to, to, uh, to make sure that there's no more strife between their people that they're going to separate. Now Abraham's the patriarch. He could, have, he could have went to Lot and said, hey, listen, I'm the one in charge here. Your people need to submit. Abraham's the patriarch. He could, have, he could have went to Lot and said, we're going to separate, but I'm going to take that land. You take the leftover. He doesn't do either of those things. Abraham says to Lot, you choose where you want to go and I'll go the other direction. Not because Abraham's a doormat, but because Abraham trusts God. He's a person of peace. We discover that the graciousness of Abraham not only diffused the situation, and by the way, just, just, a, just a, a, a word there. That when others' temperature goes up, we as followers of Christ need to make sure our temperature comes down. And, and by the way, if you're wired like me, it takes a lot of Jesus for that to happen. Like I need to be dependent on him for that to happen, but he is faithful. He's faithful. Well, in other words, the world is chaotic. Have you noticed that? I don't think I'm telling you anything new. Uh, but, but have you noticed the world's a little out of control? Have you noticed that? I mean, it, it's a chaotic place. The last thing God wants me to do is add to the chaos. He wants me to bring peace in that chaos. And Abraham saw this chaos and he brought peace into it. You pick and I'll go. And God blesses him. He says, wherever you look, that's going to be your land, Abraham. I've got you. So what does Abraham do? Genesis 13, 18. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled in a, near the oaks of Mamre which we was at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This altar commemorating the peace that Abraham found in God and the peace that he was able to offer Lot. And I'm here just to challenge us this morning that every believer like Abraham needs to erect an altar of peace in our faith journey. 
Abraham built this altar to the Lord to, to, not, to enjoy his peace and presence, but also to, to signify the fact that, Lord, as you have given me peace, I want to be an ambassador of your peace to the world around me. And we believers must invest more time really in the presence of God, mindful of who he is, if we're ever going to take peace into this world. In fact, Paul writing talks about, he says, lay all your anxieties, all your cares, everything you've got, lay them before the Lord and let him fill you for the peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't know about your faith journey, but there's times in my life where, I, where I've acknowledged God and he's given me peace and I'm surprised by that peace. Like, I'm serious. There's times where I'm acting out of my nature, my old self, and my new self is taken over. I'm becoming more like Christ. And, and, and the new self would be like, I'm a warrior by nature. And I'm like, you want to fight? Let's fight. And, and God says, yeah, be a peaceful warrior. Be a warrior, but be a peaceful warrior. Bring the temperature down. Offer hope. Every believer like Abraham needs to erect an altar of peace in their faith journey where they acknowledge God's peace, receive his peace, so that they can be an ambassador of his peace. Then lastly, the fourth altar. The next altar Abraham builds is, is, is one we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, so we're not going to dig too deep into it. The account's found in Genesis 22, 9-14. Part of God's promise to Abraham was that his descendants would inherit this land this promised land. The problem was is that he, he didn't have a descendant and he had a descendant and he sent that descendant away and he said, there's another child of promise. Okay, long story. You got to read the whole account. But the son of promise is born, finally Isaac. And he's growing up and, and God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Now, first of all, the fact that God asked him to sacrifice his son like on an altar, that's crazy. You say, you can't say that. It's in scripture. I just did. That's crazy. Can you imagine? Not only is it his son, it's a son of promise. But Abraham does just that. And he goes by faith and he erects this altar. And by the way, Isaac, by some estimation, is like in his late teens, early 20s at this time. So it's not like this old man that Abraham was could manhandle Isaac. So Isaac had a lot of faith too to get on the altar. Right? I mean, that's a whole other message, but wow. And Abraham, he's, he's ready to do what God called him to do. Again, the Hebrews writer, Hebrews 11, 19, first part of that verse, gives us some insight into his thinking. As Abraham raises the knife, what, what is he believing in his heart? Hebrews 11, 19, first part of the verse. That God was even able to raise him from the dead. There had been no resurrection. Where did he get that thought? But by faith, he said, well, God's going to fulfill the promise. It has to come to a living person. So even if I kill him, he's going to come back to life. That's faith. That's trust. That's vision. And what was thought to be a moment of death became a moment of triumph. That, that is, as, as Abraham is being faithful to God, where his, his, his faith is being so strongly tested... We're told in the account that God has provided another sacrifice coming up the other side of the mountain, a ram. And God says to Abraham, here, don't sacrifice your son, sacrifice the ram. Hebrews 11, total, totality of verse 19. Abraham con considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, Isaac from the dead, from which, catch this, I love this, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Doesn't take his son. 
offers another sacrifice. Abraham's faith has been outstandingly tested and rewarded. But this altar was constructed as an altar of sacrifice. But it was really an altar of provision, wasn't it? You trust me, Abraham, and see how I will provide. And I stand before you to say that every believer like Abraham needs to erect an altar of provision in their faith journey. An altar of provision. I love Romans 8.32. Speaking of God's love for us, it said, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Second part of the verse. How will God then not also graciously give us all things? If God loves us so much that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, why would we doubt he's not a God who will provide other things we need? Who won't be true to his promises? So you ultimately understand that it really wasn't Isaac on the altar, it was really Abraham. Did Abraham trust God? And the, the interesting dichotomy of God's kingdom arithmetic is that it takes sacrifice for us to understand God's provisions. Romans 12.1. Paul's speaking of all that God has done for us to bring us into a right relationship with him through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this is what he writes in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all these things that God has done, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And what do we find as believers? We lay it all down, and God provides. You read it in Scripture, right? We surrender, and he fills us. Like, have you ever had a situation in your life that you were just holding so tightly onto, and you thought you were going to control this thing? And the more tightly you held to it, the more messed up you made the situation. Maybe it's just my testimony I'm giving this morning. The Lord says, Craig, let go. And as soon as I did this, he provided. It didn't always mean the situation turned out the way I wanted it to, but he gave me what I needed in the midst of it. When I was holding on tight, I didn't have the strength that he can give me. I didn't have the peace he can give me. I didn't have the joy he can give me. We surrender, he he provides. Jesus, of course, made the ultimate sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, the ultimate provision of abundant life in him. When we look at Abraham's faith journey, his trust in God, these altars that he erected, it's no wonder that God used him in such amazing ways. Abraham was not perfect and he made mistakes. Yes, he sinned, but he was faithful to God. And he was faithful at erecting these, these altars of praise, prayer, peace, and provision. And we need to do the same in our spiritual journey. So as we bring it home this morning, I have a few questions for you. First is this. Are you taking time to praise the Lord for his presence and security you have in him daily? Are you taking time daily to praise the Lord, to start the day praising him, throughout the day to praise him, at the end of the day to praise him? God, you're God. I'm, not, I'm so thankful you're part of my life. Can't wait to see what you have for me today. And even if I'm not super happy with some of the things, I know you're there working. God wants us to be honest. Do you have a daily attitude of prayer? being in communion with God, keeping a short account with God. Like throughout today, from the beginning to end, to say, God, 
if this day is going to go the way that you've planned, then I've got to acknowledge your presence. I need your direction. But then when we fail, and all of us have failed, you may not want to admit it, but you can admit the person next to you has probably failed, right? All of us have failed. We don't need to run from God. We run to God. We ask him for direction, and when we don't listen to him, we come back and say, Lord, forgive me and direct me. He's so gracious to receive us. Do we, speak, do we seek the peace of God in our life? Lord, all these worries, all these concerns, I'm going to lay at your feet so you can fill me with your peace so that I can be an ambassador of your peace. And have you given your whole self to God? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And as you gave yourself fully to him, received the wonderful provisions of being part of his kingdom? See, I believe what God challenges us to this morning is to erect spiritually these altars in our life. To spiritually erect the altar of praise and the, the altar of prayer and the altar of peace and the altar of provision. It all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you've yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're in the sound of my voice, why not this morning? Jesus died for our sins, was erected for our salvation. And as we receive him as Lord and Savior, we get to start our own faith journey with him. We get to learn what it means to erect these, these altars in our life and see God show up in ways that only he can. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever God's calling you to do, won't you take that next step of faith with him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love that draws us to you. That you chose us to be in relationship with you and that you understood the dilemma we were in, that our sin separated us from you and the wage of sin, the scripture is very clear, is death. And so you sent the son of promise, Jesus Christ, to die in our stead. He died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. We have life because of Jesus and I pray that if there's anyone here this morning, anyone in the sound of my voice who's maybe watching online, who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not right now? You created us to be in relationship with you. And so, Lord, it's, it's, it's a simple step, but a dynamic step to acknowledge our need for you and the fact that as Jesus, being our Lord and Savior, we're in that relationship. And so, Lord, I pray even now that there be those who would make that decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, to become part of your kingdom. Lord, but we know as we walk in your kingdom that like Abraham, we need to be mindful. We don't pray and just go. We, we continue to walk with you and continue to become more and more the, the people you've created us to be, that you do the work of saving us, but you, you also do the work of sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus until the work will be completed. The word there is glorified in us. And so God, would you help us erect these altars of, of, of praise and prayer and peace and provision so that you'll be glorified, God. Be glorified through us. We'll be blessed and we'll be able to bless others. That Lord God, as you've met with us this morning in this time of gathering, that as we scatter, as we scatter, Lord God, that we would bring your peace, your power, the message of your gospel and, and love and word to those around us and the hope that they too will be in a right relationship with you. 
Thank you for loving us so completely. In Jesus' name, amen.